It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, May 28, 2022. I'm Jared Halper. What can be done to prevent more massacres in classrooms? Congress is again talking on a tough gun debate. I was struck by just how normal this pattern is and how we sink into this uh, kind of dance every time that there's a mass shooting. And President Biden's first trip to Asia brings together allies to counter China's influence. This framework is a commitment to working with our close friends and partners in the region on challenges that matter most to ensuring economic competitiveness in the 21st century. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Familiar questions are being asked. How? How did 19 fourth graders not make it out of their elementary school classroom alive? What? What could have prevented a tragedy like this? What can prevent the next tragedy? Why? Why is this time different? Or is it? In Washington this week, in the halls of Congress and in the White House, much of the talk was familiar, too, after Tuesday's horrific massacre at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. Nineteen fourth graders were killed. Two teachers were as well murdered, police say, by an 18-year-old gunman who, before driving to that school, shot his grandmother in the face. President Biden, hours after the shooting, grew emotional and angry and asked, when? As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez represents Uvalde, Texas. They go, Tony, we need a mental health facility. Hmm. So uh, that's something we've been working on. The county set aside some land, so the land's taken care of. We appropriated $2 million dollars towards that. So I think that's the area that we need to focus on. For years, a decade, Congress has proposed and counterproposed legislation about gun rights, weapons bans, mental health treatment and school security. And those talks are happening again. Will it lead to anything, succeed where previous efforts have failed? We start there this week with my colleague covering Capitol Hill, Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. I was struck by just how normal this pattern is and how we sink into this uh, kind of dance every time that there's a mass shooting. As soon as I found out on Tuesday here at the Capitol there was a mass shooting, and as soon as I learned what the number was, 14, I immediately in my mind began to compare that to other shootings. I said, well, that's one more than Columbine. Mm -hmm. Big school shooting in 1999. That was 13. Not as big as Newtown. Very similar to the shooting in San Bernardino, California in 2015. 15 were Mm -hmm. killed there. Very similar to Fort Hood, Texas in 2009. You know, again, right in that neighborhood. So I said, well, what they will do is the president will probably speak tonight. Uh, They will lower the flags to half staff. Uh, The senator house chaplain will deliver an emotional prayer. 
uh, and Chris Murphy, the Democratic senator from uh, Connecticut, who represented Newtown. When, mm-hmm. when Sandy Hook happened in, in December of 2012, he was the sitting congressman for that part of the state and was a senator-elect. He was going to join the Senate uh, in just a few days in, in right. January of 2013. He will probably go down to the floor and speak. And all of those things happen. All of those things happen almost precisely in that order. It was extraordinary. Now, if there is a glimmer of hope, now, you even had people like Democratic Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal say maybe banning assault weapons is not the thing. But if we can get something really, really good on red flag laws. Mm-hmm. OK. Now, again, there weren't a lot of, quote, red flags with this particular suspect here. All right. Right. But sometimes that can change things. Uh, there has been some statistical evidence that the assault weapons ban uh, actually change things here. You know, it's one thing to have a few guns. It's one thing to have, you know, guns that can do a lot of damage real fast. Now, we can argue about what is an assault weapon that is not really defined very well. And in right. fact, in the confirmation hearing, which was already scheduled for Wednesday morning with Steve Dettelbach to be the ATF director, he was asked by Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, what is an assault weapon? And he said it's very hard to define. I really couldn't mm-hmm. give a good definition. That said, behind the scenes, there have been talks very early. And this is why Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader, has been resistant to just throw something on the floor you know, out there because Murphy has been working behind the scenes literally for years yeah. trying to get an agreement. And if you can, you know, get somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 Republican senators, maybe not all, but get that range of people on board, you can get within striking distance of 60 votes, which is what you need to overcome a filibuster. So, And I, as I, I say, it's because and the reason they can't do anything about any of this stuff, Jared, it's because it's about the math. Right. And I mean, I guess so. the, the question then becomes, so there are a lot of different solutions out there. And, and, you know, we can talk about what an assault weapons ban would be, what it wouldn't be. There was one in effect from 1994 to 2004. A lot of uh, critics on both sides of the aisle pointed to, you know, modifications that gun manufacturers would make. And, and then it didn't apply. All that being said, that that's not something that's going to get 60 votes. So uh, I guess we take that out of the conversation. Right. But right. the question then becomes, are we talking about universal background checks to to extend background checks to some of these private transfers are we talking about more in the mental health range of these red flag laws uh, I, I know that some republicans have talked a lot about the mental health crisis democrats too um and how that relates to to what's happening in this country um is that something that republicans are working on with chris murphy yes and it's still pretty early frankly i mean you, you know again not early in the sense that we seem to have these crises on a regular basis they went down but early in these the specific negotiations yes exactly yeah. but you've had buffalo you've had now you know what happened uh, in in uvalde texas mm-hmm. um you know you, you know legislating is always the art of the possible and depending on what they can get together that is very important right there and so if they if they're able to get something that not everybody is satisfied you know john cornyn the Republican senator from Texas was adamant. He said, I am not going to abridge people's First Amendment rights, mm-hmm. uh, Second Amendment rights, Second I should Amendment, say. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, and OK, we get it. All right. Th- th- that's where we are. And, and that's where I come back to that assault weapon. But he seems to be the Republican sort of at the forefront of this, no? Yes. I mean, he is somebody he is who's the point on, on, person. And, and he was yes. the point person because we, we talk about what hasn't been done. There was one uh, bill that was passed in the aftermath of a, a shooting in Texas at a church where Congress reformed what's called the, the Nix process. Right? Nix, yes. And John Cornyn, 
led that effort with some Democrats, and they were able to get that. And that was a very narrow issue that dealt with a specific part of background checks. But right. again, it took an incident, a mass shooting, for that to sort of be revealed that there was a problem, and you saw the Republican from Texas work with Democrats to do that. Is that the formula that, that you see here? Absolutely. And and Cornyn is a, is a member of that universe of 15 to 20 Republican senators, presuming you can get all 50 Democrats on board. Again, right. you know, you might lose the mansions or the cinemas or somebody are, over well, there. You but may you, lose some on the other side that say this is too narrow, doesn't go far Yes, enough. yes, too, too liberal. So that's why, you know, this is Goldilocks, you know, not too hot, yeah. not too cold, just right. So you get this, this wedge in the middle here somewhere where you get that 15 or 20 Republicans, maybe not all of them, but you get just enough and you lose maybe the far left or the moderates. You, you know, you lose your Bernie Sanders or, or Jeff Merkley or somebody, I mean, again, depending on what the thing looks mm-hmm. like. And then you're in that middle and you can get to 60 votes. And John Cornyn is somebody, he's the former attorney general of Texas. He's been a longtime mm-hmm. uh, member of the Judiciary Committee, you know, has been the whip. You know, he's somebody who who gets this. He's in play, as we say here on Capitol Hill. If you probably go talk to uh, Tommy Tuberville from Alabama or Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, they are probably not in play. They're not within that, that right. realm of, of senators who but- would be willing to, to play ball. Cornyn is somebody who could also bring Republicans along. He 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 brings in some. They said he was the whip. That's right. right. Yes, he brings that, in that some helps. legitimacy to to bringing in other Republicans. Oh, uh, let me certainly. talk about another proposal that that we have heard about. Um, and I I want to say this was something that was brought up as well uh, during the Trump administration. Correct me if I'm wrong. After uh, the school shooting at the Florida high school, with raising the purchasing age, the legal age to purchase some of these weapons from 18 to 21. Is that something that you've heard from a federal level or is that a state issue? Again, it could go both ways, uh, you know, again, but then, you know, if you do make it a state issue and then you transport things across state lines, Mm -hmm. okay, there you go. It's been interesting to hear some officials in some instances, you know, attorneys general and, and other, you know, law enforcement officials say, well, you you can't legislate morality and you can't put these things on the books because people will break the law. Well, I mean, I've, I've found some of those comments, regardless of your position on this issue, a little bit strange because these are legislators. They make law. <laughs> you know, right. this is what you do. And, and if you're just going to undercut the entire system, whether we're talking about general robbery, uh, you know, of a convenience store to, you know, good old fashioned, uh, you know, shooting up a place with, with a gun. Uh, I mean, you say, well, you know, these laws are unenforceable. That just is, you know, divorces one from the complete realm of, you know, the idea of quote law and order and civil society and what we are all about here in the United States. That's really remarkable when I've heard that. Let me finish with this, because I know you said that some of these negotiations, some of these talks legislatively are in the early stages. But, you know, I know that someone who work pretty methodically find that sweet spot to get something meaningful in a bipartisan fashion over the finish line. But these issues, Chad, have a shelf life. Congress is going to move on. They're going to take a recess here for Memorial Day. They're going to come back in June. What is a realistic timeline here for, um, you know, a, a compromise of some kind to emerge? If, if, there is, if there is a compromise to be had, which, again, may not happen because, as you point out, the math and the politics and, and the deep feelings that people have on these issues. You know, you asked me about a timeline. This kind of reminds me of what Dr. Anthony Fauci said in March, late March, early April of 2020 about the timeline for the pandemic. And he said, well, the virus will determine the, the timeline. Sure. It's kind of the same thing. The legislation and when it is ripe will determine the timeline. You're right. Sometimes you lose energy when there's a recess. 
But, you know, I hate to say it for all we know, you know, we, we didn't have Buffalo and we didn't have Uvalde just a few days ago. God forbid what we could have in the coming days. Okay, things happen. Number one. Number two, sometimes you have issues that just for for weird reasons percolate to the top at the right time. I mean, you know, people had said, well, if they're not going to do it after they shot a member of Congress, Gabrielle Giffords, Mm -hmm. if they're not going to do it after they shot the kids at Newtown in 2012, Mm -hmm. they're not going to if they're not going to do it after they shot Steve Scalise, the Republican whip on the baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia. You know, at at what point you would say, okay, well, what would what would change here? You know, it's very interesting whether you like this bill slash law or not. And it comes back to this assault weapons business. This was 1994. I always talk about you've heard me talk about beware the Ides of August ad nauseum. My introduction to how bad August is on Capitol Hill came in August of 1994, which was my first full August is working here in Washington, D.C. I came in the fall of 1993, worked at C-SPAN after my uh, finished my master's degree. And so they passed the, this crime bill in the Senate mm-hmm. that was authored by Judiciary Committee Chairman Biden. Yes. And it included the assault weapons ban. It was a, an amendment, right? It was a provision within a much bigger piece of legislation. Yes, but this was the whole thing. And there was cops, midnight basketball, all this type mm-hmm. of stuff. Okay. And in fact, one of the reasons that Democrats lost control of the House is because the NRA eventually pulled all of its support from all these Democrats in 1994, and the Democrats lost the the House for the first time in 40 years in 1994, and Newt Gingrich became Speaker. You can pin it back to this particular bill. Mm -hmm. Okay. That said, they couldn't get it through the House, and in the House, you know, you have to, you just don't put a bill on the floor most of the time. You have to approve what's called a rule. The rule determines how you're going to handle the debate, how many amendments in order, how much time, and you can't get to the actual bill unless you pass the rule. Well, they had defeated in August of 1994, the rule. Congress went away. They passed it in the Senate, not the House. Well, August being August around here, beware the Ides of August, they finally got the votes. They recalled the House of Representatives and they passed the bill. And then the House and Senate were in sync. And that was the crime bill authored by Judiciary Committee Chairman Biden. Now, a lot of people were shocked that they did this, that they were able to get the votes. They did this going into the fall of 1994 because crime was pretty bad in the United States and Democrats thought this was their ticket to hold the House. It turned out it backfired on them. But there has been evidence that the assault weapons ban diminished over time. They might have lost the election, but diminished the number of these mass shootings in the period that it was in effect from 1994. President Clinton signed it in September of 1994 through, you know, 10 years later, 2004. Mm -hmm. And then it had a sunset. Now, Congress could vote to switch it back on. And as you say, no way you can get 60 votes. So it's very unlikely they can do that. But I tell you this story, number one, because the history is compelling on this issue and it changed American politics, frankly, just not on the gun issue, but on a lot of other things. Number two, because it shows that sometimes these things just kind of happen when they happen. And even though you think on their face that they've lost the energy going into this recess, or maybe, you know, we hope that there's not another incident sometime in the next few weeks or June or what have you, guess what? Sometimes these issues then come back. And, and, And even though they shot kids at Newtown and shot kids at Uvalde and shot Gabby Giffords and shot Steve Scalise, you would have thought all that would have compelled Congress to do something. Well, maybe not. But maybe for some reason, something works out. And, and stra- being around this place this long, I've seen that sort of thing happen where there's no obvious reason what was the breaking point, but sometimes something is. 
And yeah, but, as you point out, sometimes just you know they they find the sweet spot, they find the 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 proposal, they find the, the legislation the will find legislation the legislation that that's right. That all right because well, it's it is something about that, the math. It is, and and we've covered these um, events uh, far too frequently, uh, Chad. And uh, I appreciate your your context here, your your expertise in covering these, because this is a debate that will be going on again, and we will continue to follow it and um, continue to report on it. So I appreciate the time. As always, have a great weekend. Thank you. North Korea test fired three missiles this week, including one that is believed to be an intercontinental ballistic missile. The tests were expected in part as a response to President Biden's visit to South Korea and Japan. It was the first Asia trip for President Biden since taking office. Much of the trip focused on trade issues, manufacturing plants in South Korea and a new Indo-Pacific economic framework introduced in Japan. This framework is a commitment to working with our close friends and partners in the region on challenges that matter most to ensuring economic competitiveness in the 21st century. Obviously, security issues hung over the summits, too, and the Russian invasion of Ukraine forced the president to answer what would happen if China took similar actions in Taiwan. Specifically, would the U.S. military be committed to intervene? Yes. You are. That's the commitment we made. The White House quickly clarified, indicating the president did not signal a policy shift. President Biden also said, We agree with a one-China policy. We signed on to it and all the attendant agreements made from there. But the idea that, that it can be taken by force, just taken by force, is just not, is just not appropriate. It will dislocate the entire region. Gordon Chang is the author of books about China and North Korea. He closely followed President Biden's trip to the region. I asked him to provide some context and analysis on the administration's strategy in the Indo-Pacific. As the South Korean president, Yoon Suk-yeol, said, economics is security and security is economics. And that theme was clear throughout the trip, not only to South Korea, but also to Japan as well. Because the region is coming together. It's coming together from an economic point of view and as well from a security point of view, because China is driving countries in the region in directions they don't want to go. But that's not up to them. It's up to Beijing. You know, as we we looked at that, especially that that uh, it's not really a trade agreement. I know it's some sort of short of a trade agreement, right? This Indo-Pacific framework. But I mean, that's sort of the alternative to the TPP, which the U.S. left. Um, is this sort of the U.S. getting back into that conversation and that broader trade deal to, to sort of work as a hedge and influence against China? The Indo-Pacific economic framework is a halfway measure. It has uh, elements of it that do affect trade, of course, but it doesn't deal with market access. And that is the critical thing, because countries in the region, especially China, depend on access to the American market. And until the framework actually includes market access provisions, which it won't, countries are going to view it as inadequate. They like it in the sense that it does deal with some issues, but not with the issue they really, really care about. Why didn't President Biden stop in Beijing on this trip? Would it have been a, a good idea to meet face to face with uh, with China's president? I know that they have had some 
some sort of virtual summits. And obviously, COVID's part of that calculation as well. But were, were you expecting or, or surprised one way or the other that the president didn't make that stop to China? President Biden was, I think, never going to go to China. Um, the symbolism would not have been good um, because of just the American looking like a supplicant to the greater Chinese court, which is the way the Chinese um, would have portrayed this. Also, there's no real point in talking to China at this moment because the Chinese have made it clear how they feel. Um, they're going ahead and doing what they demand to do. And it's up to the United States to stop them. So talking to China, I think, um, certainly would sort of postpone um, our taking effective measures. It was a good idea to talk to allies and friends, not to adversaries and enemies. Was it a gaffe to, to uh, indicate that the U.S. W- would have a military reaction to a Chinese invasion of Taiwan? Uh, President Biden's comment on Monday that the United States would defend Taiwan was exactly the right thing to say. And it was horrible that the following day that he climbed down and said there was no change in U.S. policy when it was clear that his previous comments had a very important, uh, affected a very important change in policy. Biden himself uh, has three times now said the U.S. would defend Taiwan. He said it to George Stephanopoulos last August. Mm -hmm. He said it to Anderson Cooper on October This is what Biden wants to do. But in the face of uh, criticism from not only China, but also from White House subordinates, he backed down. And the back down, I think, uh, showed disarray in the White House, as well as uh, showing that China can intimidate the U.S. So therefore, it's a very dangerous situation for us right now. Is it dangerous to to sort of have this policy that would would it require then a war with China? In the event of an invasion, I mean, we're we're sort of seeing the U.S. careful in in the way that it's proceeding in Ukraine for the same reason to avoid a direct confrontation, a direct conflict with Russia. Showing disarray, showing uh, that we're still with our policy of strategic ambiguity, which means we don't tell either Mm -hmm. Beijing or Taipei what we would do, I think uh, makes it more likely there will be a war uh, in the Taiwan Strait. If the United States were clear that we would defend Taiwan, China wouldn't take us on, even if China thought that it would eventually prevail. There are a number of reasons why China would not invade. um, But the one reason why they would is if they thought the U.S. would not come to Taiwan's defense. And so Biden has now made it clear that there are many people in the U.S. security establishment who don't want to protect Taiwan. That means, I think, uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, is encouraged and emboldened. What is the likelihood, in your view, of, of China through force invading, taking some sort of, of provocative move into, into Taiwan? Is that still a, a I mean, how, how do you sort of view that in the short term or the medium term? Well, in this year, I don't think China will invade. Um, China's got problems of its own, which are quite serious, even critical. But also Chinese leaders are involved in um, intense political infighting in the run up to what should be the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party, which if tradition holds will be held in October or November of this year. So I don't see uh, an invasion this year. But if Xi Jinping gets his unprecedented third term as general secretary of the party, um, then all bets are off. In normally, um, there are many reasons why China despite all of what it says, despite all of its huffing and puffing, 
really wouldn't invade Taiwan. But what could encourage them to do so would be a show of American weakness. And what we have seen over the last seven days, number of shows of American, America being intimidated by China, and therefore that substantially increases the likelihood of war in East Asia. The other um, country of, of note in that region is North Korea. Obviously, President Biden did not go to the DMZ, did not meet, obviously, with uh, with Kim Jong-un. I don't believe that's a surprise. But do you see any sort of shift in U.S. policy towards North Korea? I know that after the president left, they uh, went forward with, with some of these missile tests that had been long expected. It was a mild surprise that President Biden did not go to the DMZ. He went there as vice president, mm-hmm. um, but every American president makes that trip when they go to South Korea. And I think the failure to do that is, although it's not a debacle, um, nonetheless, I think that it wasn't good. It was good, of course, that President Biden spent a lot of time with both American and South Korean troops. Um, so that was a plus. The North Koreans right now are, are very much uh, looking at their own situation regarding COVID, um, right. which is causing, I think, millions of infections. Um, and the North Koreans don't have an effective means to deal with it. Yes, they will fire off uh, short-range ballistic missiles, but I don't see them doing anything really serious for a little while. The one issue that uh, people talk about uh, and we should talk about is whether there will be a detonation of a nuclear device. Uh, Mm -hmm. North Korea hasn't detonated one of those since 2017. They're about due to do it. Um, And I don't know if it would have as much political significance as we would normally tend to give it. Is that because they've just done it before and and the understanding of sort of what it means is better understood? I think it's because we know that they have nuclear nuclear Mm -hmm. devices. Um, The one thing that would be a game changer would be the detonation of a thermal nuclear device in the atmosphere. In 2017, a North Korean diplomat, while he was in New York for the UN General Assembly meeting, promised that North Korea would do that. Um, So eventually, probably North Korea will make good on that pledge. Um, That is, in many cases, a game changer um, because it would show that North Korea has capabilities that at this point we're not exactly sure that they have. Um, My sense, of course, is that North Korea is making great progress, both on their missiles and on their nukes. And I'm sure that they are working very hard on mating um, their weapons to their launchers. Um, But we need to see a demonstration before we're sure that they are able to do what we think that they um, will do. And you don't see any change in the way the U.S. goes about North Korea policy. I mean, obviously, uh, President Trump met uh, a couple of times with uh, Kim Jong-un. That, that's not going to happen during the Biden administration. Yeah, I don't think Biden is going to meet um, Kim Jong-un. Um, Biden, when he was in Seoul, said, yes, I'll meet him if he's sincere and serious. Yeah. Um, but uh, Kim Jong-un is not serious about giving up his most destructive weapons, which is what President Biden was referring to. So I think that North Korea will remain at the bottom of the inbox uh, until Kim Jong-un does something to push it to the top. Um, And and that is really where we are at the present time. There's no intensified diplomacy like there was during the Trump administration. And whatever one thinks about Trump-North Korea policy, and I was certainly no fan of it, clearly Biden is taking a very different approach. 
uh, it seems more more of sort of what was in line pre pre Trump, right? I mean, it's the same approach that Obama took, Bush took, uh, maybe I guess the end of Clinton, because there was some engagement, I guess, with the Clinton administration. There there was engagement in the Clinton administration and the administration of George W. Bush, um, because during the time of George W. Bush, there was the six party talks. That's right. Um, there was a real attempt to put China at the center of those negotiations to try to integrate China into the international system. But President Obama had the policy that we now know as strategic patience, which is basically leaving the North Koreans alone. Their one foray into North Korean diplomacy produced the Leap Day Agreement, which was a disaster for the United States on all fronts. And so after that, Obama decided not to try to deal with uh, the Kim family. And that seems to be uh, largely the, the, the view that President Biden is taking as well. I will finish with this as you we sort of look now into the future. Do you anticipate more of these uh, summits in either Korea, Japan? Um, uh, the president spent some time, obviously, with the leaders of Australia and India as well. A lot of administrations have tried to sort of make this pivot to the Indo-Pacific, right? And, and other things happen. And, you know, certainly we're dealing with Ukraine and, and issues here at home. Uh, how sustained is this sort of effort here by, by the Biden administration and really by the U.S. government, regardless of administrations, to to focus in on, on this part of the world? That's a really important question. And I think that the approach is sustainable. Um, and the reason it's sustainable is because China will make it sustainable. Um, what we are seeing in terms of American policy and policies of our allies and friends in the region is really the result of Beijing's belligerence. They, you go back decades um, throughout the century, um, countries wanted to engage with China, and the approach of trying to contain China was thought to be uh, unacceptable. But Beijing has shown that it was not reciprocating gestures, and so therefore Beijing's um, provocations and belligerence will make sure that we keep our focus on Asia. We'll see how that plays out now over the next uh, several months. Gordon Chang, appreciate your analysis as always. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much, Jared. You too. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, we mark Memorial Day and Mental Health Awareness Month with a conversation about resources for veterans, military members, and their families struggling. And we'll talk about the state of play in the midterms after another round of primary elections. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.